You're listening to the Detroit Worldwide Podcast, where we highlight the stories of Native Detroiters that are doing great things in their community and using their impact across the globe. I'm Marquise Taylor. Welcome to the Deep. What up, though? Welcome to another installment of the Detroit Worldwide Podcast. I am Marquise Taylor. And on this week's edition of the podcast, we are continuing our Men of Morehouse series. And setting things off for us this week is Dr. R. Wayne Woodson, who is an educator, consultant, entrepreneur, and musician. Dr. Woodson is coming to us live from Atlanta, Georgia. And in this episode, you're going to learn about his extensive career in both music and education, as well as his transition into the world of business. You're also going to learn about his deep lineage, as he is the grandnephew of acclaimed scholar, Dr. Carter G. Woodson, who is also the father of Black history. It's only fitting that we recorded this episode during the month of February, and it's even more fitting that we are highlighting the amazing stories of Morehouse men across the world. Dr. Woodson's episode only adds to that legacy as I came away deeply inspired and empowered following our conversation. I hope that you feel the same way, and I hope that you enjoy the other stories that we'll be sharing in the weeks to come here on Detroit Worldwide. Now, all of that being said, you have heard enough from me. So why don't we dive into the discussion that I had with the one and only Dr. R. Wayne Woodson. All right. This is Detroit Worldwide. Joining us on the podcast this week is Dr. R. Wayne Woodson. He is a Morehouse graduate. So for the second week in a row, we have yet another Morehouse man joining us on the podcast. And we're excited to learn more about his story. So Dr. Woodson, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. What up, though? It is my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Uh, And thank you for promoting all of our Morehouse graduates that are from Detroit. That's a big deal. Yeah, yeah. And I would be remiss if I didn't give a big shout out to Mr. Antoine Griggs. He connected the two of us as we were talking and we did his interview. We had the idea of connecting with more Morehouse men and really spotlighting their work. As we dive into everything, I want to familiarize you to our listening audience and just begin by asking you the question, who is Dr. R. Wayne Woodson and what are you best known for? Uh, That's always an interesting question. So who am I? I am someone who has dedicated his life to other people, to improving the lives of other people, to providing opportunities for other people. Someone who is, you know, someone responded one time and said I was like a disruptor. So when I go in and see situations that are just status quo, part of my work is really shake the tables up so that we can move in a better direction. I am probably 
best known for my work with HBCUs. I was the vice president one. I have served them in many capacities. I've gone through the leadership training programs for HBCUs. So that's probably what I'm best known for. Some people don't even know I do a lot of the other stuff I do because they only see my work with the HBCU space. Well, we're going to talk about everything that you're doing. As I introduced you, I introduced you as a consultant, entrepreneur, and musician. So you have a lot of titles. But before we dive into those titles and your past, I do want to talk about your experience growing up in Detroit. So what was that like for you growing up in the D? The Detroit I grew up in is very different than the Detroit we see now. It was a great experience for me. I mean, I have friends. I remember we would, I would spend weekends at my grandparents' house and all the kids playing on the streets. And there were opportunities that I didn't realize were beneficial in terms of access to music and individuals. And so it was a really great experience. It's interesting now, when I went back the last time I went to the street, my grandparents' house was on and there were only two houses left on the street. So my Detroit, the Detroit that I hold dear is a much different city. You know, it was vibrant. When I was in high school, I won the Spirit of Detroit Award. Mm. And so I had a lot of opportunities. I was on a talk show <laughs> as uh, one of the hosts. So it was a great experience. I went to Renaissance High School. It opened so many doors when I was looking at colleges. So, I mean, Detroit for me was amazing. Now, along those lines, I read online that you are the son of an educator someone who worked in DPS for a number of years. So my question is to you, in what ways was education emphasized in your household growing up? Education was big in my high school. I tell people all the time, my mother has five degrees and she never received anything lower than an A. And so education in our household was huge. Even for scholastic games and public speaking and all those things, it was just it was just something that was ingrained in us. I mean, my mother did work for DPS for 37 years. Mm. And that is the only job she ever had. She started Spain, I think it was Spain Middle School. And she worked in Detroit forever. She was an area office administrator. She was a counselor. And that was her entire life. So for us, education was just what it was. So when it came time even for considering college and things, that was not an option for any of us. Um, that we wouldn't go. And so that's just something we did. You know, we had time and even where we did homework. Like we, <laughs> so education was just important to our household as religion, as family time. It was just something that was normal. Now, speaking of family, you're also the grand nephew of Dr. Carter G. Woodson, who is the founder of Black History Month, but also the author of the book, The Miseducation of a Negro. That being said, what does it mean to be part of this lineage, especially as we begin to celebrate Black History Month? So I did not realize when I was young really who he was. I realized we would go to all these events. We would go to these luncheons, dinners, banquets, unveilings, library dedications. But to me, I was just like, this is just something that's interrupting my life. It was not probably until I got to high school and then to Morehouse and I really understood the importance. I then also realized how my family ingrained the importance of Black contributions in us just from the time that we could remember. I 
since then has represented the family in a number of ways at conferences and and receiving awards and all. Actually, this year, my book will come out, Growing Up Woodson, and it's going to really be discussing like what that experience is like. I did not have a normal upbringing. <laughs> you know, it would be vacation time and people going to the beach, and then I would be going to maybe Huntington, West Virginia to a statue unveiled. And so I grew up with a different understanding of what a childhood was. But as I got older, it became even more important. You know, the Journal of Negro History was housed at Morehouse when I was a student there. And so I then, I guess I was about 18 when I really fully understood the value of that connection and what it meant, not just to our people, but to the country as a whole. You know, he's labeled the father of Black history, and I try to correct people. He started probably Black study, but the history was already there. So, I mean, it's important, and it's it's now just a part of my life on a daily basis. We, even my institute is dedicated to keeping his work going. Man, I love it, and just thinking about everything that he represented, and I don't know as much about him as I should. I have read The Miseducation of a Negro, but the point I'm trying to make is that that's a strong name and just a lineage to have, so thank you so much for sharing. And i just like to also help people. You know, a lot of people have issues with Black History Month. It was Dr. Woodson's intent that we would study all year and then celebrate what we had learned then it was a week and now a month. Somehow we reversed that process and now we only study the history in February and that was never the intent. So I just always try to throw that out there that this is a time we should be celebrating what we have learned the other 11 months. Now you mentioned this earlier, but you did attend the illustrious Morehouse College where you received a bachelor's degree in music. That said, what does it mean to be a Morehouse man and how have you been able to push that legacy forward? So there are a few things. Morehouse, even outside of my degree, prepared me to be a successful Black man in society. We learn how to speak. We learn how to write. We learn how, some people call it code switching. I just call it adapting to whatever the circumstance is. We learn those skills, which is why most Morehouse people who are dedicated to improving whatever are successful. Um, but it was hard. <laughs> you know, I switched my major at least three times. <laughs> I was stressed out. Uh, there were times I was like, why am I even here? After leaving, that name opens doors. I mean, when people see Morehouse on your paperwork or on your transcript or whatever, it really does open doors. But it also comes with an expectation of excellence. When people see a Morehouse man, there is an expectation of what they'll receive. And, you know, when I first started, that was a hard, <laughs> a hard legacy to live up to. I now I'm a little more comfortable. I'm pretty good at what I do, I think. And so I'm a little more comfortable with that concept. But it can be disheartening. And there are a lot of people who start school that don't finish. And it's not just financial reasons. Some It's stressful. Mm -hmm. There is a lot that goes on in Morehouse in terms of social activism, in terms of learning who you are, all of those things outside of the classroom. But if you do it, I said, if you go through the process, it is amazing. Now, as a follow-up to that question... I know you mentioned like some of the stressors that people encounter at Morehouse, but were there any struggles that you face? And if so, how are you able to overcome them? So, yeah. So my father passed the first semester of my last year. 
it was rough because my dad was my best friend and probably my biggest cheerleader on the planet. And so that was very hard. I fell into a depression. I was in a Glee club. The Glee club was actually on a tour when I got the call that he had passed. That was challenging. What I will say is the faculty in my department gave me more support than I could have ever imagined. My friends on the campus, and Morehouse has a great counseling department. That was when I first realized that counseling was okay. You know, a lot of Black families, you know, go through whatever happens in the house, stays in the house, and there's this stigma in the Black community about therapy. That was probably when I realized this was okay, and if it had not really been for the counseling department, for my faculty and friends, I probably wouldn't have made it through because I came back from Detroit to Atlanta in a very broken state. But the last thing my dad said to me, and I didn't know he was sick at the time, was no matter what happens this year, your goal is to graduate. So I went back and I did graduate that year. But they have resources on that campus that will help you through if you utilize them. Man, I love it. I love the fact that you're normalizing what it means to seek out help, but most importantly, seeking out therapy is breaking that stigma and the Black community is something we need to do and coincidentally the last couple of episodes we've had on the podcast have been with mental health therapists and advocates and we've been talking about that so I'm glad that you brought that up because it normalizes what it means to ask for help so thank you now a great deal of your experience has been in the world of music however there was a time when you decided to pivot into education so tell us more about the decision to venture into education and along those lines, what are some of the things that you've been able to accomplish since going into that field? So let me um, preface all this by saying, I always plan to do music because everybody expected me to and they said I was good at it. And I really was. I decided when I was young, seeing the stress my mother was under as a teacher and all that, that I would never be in education. <laughs> that that would never be a career that I would work in. She would come home with all this work and these hours, and I was just like, and at that time, you know, teachers would still go to students' houses if they didn't come to school. And I was like, I'm not doing that. This is ridiculous. <laughs> and so I avoided it. I transitioned. Now, I was singing. I have lived in Europe. I performed everywhere as an opera singer and as a conductor. I pivoted indirectly. I started working in education offices at symphonies, and that transitioned me to, oh, okay. I did not realize that I was working in education. In my mind, I was working for an arts organization. Then I went to Georgia State as a student. Then I worked for the, the choral department. And I was like, I kind of like this. <laughs> so I got a job at Payne as a part-time faculty member. And I thanked that institution because it was what really made me realize what my passion was. And it is education and it is administration. I moved up through the ranks. I was the head of student affairs and enrollment management at that institution. And I loved it, which is why when I left there, primarily at the time, my consulting company only did educational institution. I've branched out a lot since then. But it was an indirect process and something that I swore I would never do. And when people find that out, they're like, what? I was like, yeah, my mother's a teacher for 37 years. And pretty much all my aunts were teachers as well. I was never going to do that. <laughs> They make no money, and it's a thankless job. So when I did it one day, I was like, I guess, you know, my mother was right all those years ago. 
I won't tell her that, but yeah. So that's how I got into it. And even with all my business now, there's still an educational tie that links everything together. But I love it. I love your commitment to HBCUs. I know that you attended one, obviously, but just the fact that you've been able to transition into that field and how there's a lot of overlap in the work that you're doing now. Speaking of work that you're doing now, in addition to music and education, you're also in the world of business and you consider yourself to be a serial entrepreneur. So tell us more about the work that you're doing in business. So Woodson Associates, which is my consulting firm, provides services to higher ed institutions, black businesses, and nonprofits. From everything from fundraising to marketing and branding to strategic planning, we do that. I have an educational foundation, the Woodson Foundation, that supports students at HBCU specifically. Um, and then I have RWIN, which is my now my largest company, which houses the media division, which is all my shows, the event planning company, the magazine, and my creative management agency. You know, so we've really expanded. And that company, you know, we have a roster of artists and creatives that we manage. So yeah, I say I'm a serial entrepreneur because when people look at what I'm doing, they're just like, how do you get all that done? I'm thankful that I have a team of people that help me. But yeah, it's it's three companies and one of them has six divisions. Okay. Well, just looking at your resume, just the work that you're doing, I'm like, man, how does he have time to do all of this? But it sounds like you have a team of people, but it also sounds like you're passionate about the work that you're doing. So having a team and having passion, those are two things that we all need so keep up the good work when you're doing something you love it never feels like work so when I have to get up you know or I, when I'll say when I have to stay late in my office until 12 or 1 o'clock because my client's in California it doesn't seem like I'm working late <laughs> because I love what I do and I cannot say that's always been the case and I also am not a person who does well with a nine to five. Even when I was a vice president at Payne, I don't think I was ever there unless I had a meeting at nine o'clock. Because I know I will stay until six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven 10, 11 in the evening and go to all the student events and all. I am just not that nine to five or eight thirty to five thirty person. Like my personality does not accommodate that. Well, Dr. Wilson, we are heading into the home stretch and we are approaching one of my favorite segments on the podcast is about music. You do music, Antoine does music, and everybody who comes on Detroit Worldwide, I ask them this following question. If they had to identify a song in their opinion that best represents Detroit, what would that song be? Hopefully I've given you enough time for you to come up with a song, but I am curious to hear it, so hit me. I think if I had to pick a song that represented Detroit, it would be Golden by Jill Scott. Mm. Because I think all of us who are successful from the city, that's how we live our lives. Even when it might not be where we want it to be, we still live our life like it's golden. Like, this is a moment that we can do whatever we want. So I think that would probably be the song. Man, I love that song. I love Jill Scott. And I love the fact that you chose it because of all of the people that I've interviewed on this podcast, that is the first time that song was mentioned. So thank you very much for sharing. And we will definitely add it to the Detroit Worldwide guest playlist. 
So I know that you spoke about everything that you have going on, but what's next and how can we as a community support the work that you're doing? What's next? Well, there's always something next. So I have a new artist on our roster. We're about to take the Aaron Thomas experience across the country and we will be coming to Detroit. So if people can, you know, attend, buy tickets, show up, that'd be great. And then when my book comes out, I really want people to read it. It is a very transparent book. There are a lot of things that come with being in a prominent family that people don't see. And I discuss those in the book. And then, you know, just if, follow me on social media. You know, my life is so public these days that, you know, you can pretty much figure out everything I'm doing, where I've been and what I'm doing, especially if you follow my Instagram. And I think that would probably be the best way to keep in touch. But, you know, just if you have ideas, whatever, I'm very easy to reach. A lot of people know me. So just reach out. Yeah, for sure. And where can people find you in the social media space? So if you go to IG, it's R. Wayne, the brand. It's either that or Dr. Woodson. So it's like Dr. Woodson on my YouTube. Um, but we'll probably be changing everything to R. Wayne, the brand, because uh, my team is now <laughs> promoting that I am the brand. And so that's what everything is going to be eventually. And we're in a big shift now. We're rebranding everything. It's all supposed to launch the first week of February. We're even rebranding my um, apparel line. So, yeah, it's a, it's a it's a big time. I didn't really think about the fact that we we're rolling it all out during Black History Month, but I guess it all works out how it's supposed to work out. That's good. And coincidentally, this episode will probably be available during Black History Month. So we'll make sure that we promote the work that you're doing along with this episode. And, you know, I have talk shows and things, so if people are interested in it, just reach out. I am very accessible. I mean, contrary to what some people think, I do respond to my social media myself. I don't have a social media manager. Someone asked me that one time, like, who responds to all your messages? I actually respond to everything myself. So if you reach out, you're going to be reaching out to me. All right. Well, that's good to know. That's good to know. All right, Dr. Wilson, final question as we wrap up. And that question is simple. What does Detroit mean to you? Detroit to me is the foundation of everything I do now. A lot of the skills and, and training that I received, I received in Detroit. So it is like my foundation. Even if you look at my websites and whatnot, you'll see pictures of downtown Detroit on my sites. Dr. Woodson, this has been fun. Again, shout out to the homie Antoine Griggs for connecting the two of us. Morehouse men, you all are doing amazing things. I'm glad that I connected with a few of you on the podcast and I just wish you all the best. We will definitely have to reconnect with you once the book comes out because we want to support that. So I may be hitting you up for another interview or if not like an Instagram live or something. But either way, we're going to promote the work that you're doing. I can't wait to read that book too. Thank you. And, you know, I'm always willing to work with especially people who are promoting places that were important to me in my life. Most definitely. Most definitely. Well, this has been fun. And we're going to close out and say on behalf of Dr. R. Wayne Woodson, I am Marquise Taylor. This is Detroit Worldwide. And we will both holler at y'all on the other side. Peace. Loving what you're hearing? Then feel free to visit our new website where you can listen to previous episodes, explore our Black business directory, and also check out other content related to this platform. 
Head over to DetroitWorldwide.com to learn more. And if you're listening on an Apple device, feel free to subscribe, rate, and review. This platform would not exist without your support. I thank you 